you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. Doesn't that sound tasty? I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. are taking part as a creative pepperoni, creative pep talk community in the 100 day project. This is a project run by L Luna and Lindsay Jean Thompson. They were on the show recently and I am joining in on the 100 day project and I'm encouraging creative pep talk listeners to join in as well. It's a 100-day Instagram project where you come up with a project, something that you're going to make every day for 100 days, and it starts the day this episode is going to be released, April 3rd, 2018. And uh, if you want to join in, use the hashtag, hashtag CPT100day, not days plural, just day, and also use hashtag the 100-day project project and I'll be following the CPT one and cheering from the sidelines and I will also be doing a project at Andy J Pizza on my Instagram it's going to be daily uh it's supposed to be like serendipitous synchronicity kind of like a daily devotional uh exactly what you need to hear for that day creative encouragement 
and uh, along with like a little lettered piece that I'm going to do in these Posca markers that I've been using. Um, so that's what I'm doing. You're welcome to join in. I'm going to, over the next couple of weeks, do some episodes on focus uh, to help encourage you to keep going. And even if you're not doing a 100-day project, even if you're listening to this episode 50 years in the future, I could just imagine 50 years in the future, I hope that... <laughs> Uh, wouldn't it be great if this content was that evergreen? Holy goodness, that'd be fantastic. So you're 50 years in the future. You're creating your artwork inside uh, some kind of weird space program in a planet that we don't even know about right now. And even if that's you, this episode and these next couple episodes will be relevant to you because here's why. Great rewards require great investment and great investment requires some degree of focus. And I think that that is somewhat of a problem for creative people. And, and here's why, because I think that one of the key superpowers of a creative person is their ability to see possibilities. Uh, because they see so many possibilities, you know, they, if you give a creative person a problem, they don't see the answer. They see a hundred answers. You know, there's a million ways to get around a brick wall and creative people see all these different possibilities and different ways of doing things. And it's an amazing superpower. But I also think it can be kind of a super weakness. I think the same ability to invent and foresee a billion different possibilities means that once we've chosen one possibility, that there's a million different ways we can get derailed, you know, seeing, oh, maybe we should have done this way. Maybe we should have done this way. Maybe this path will be a better option. And then we skip from thing to thing to thing and never really making a big investment and therefore never really reaping any big rewards. And uh, I think creativity works like anything in that way. That It's going to require focused effort. And I personally know from experience that uh, what this this uh, this seeing possibility thing can do. I actually have ADHD. You probably know that if you've listened to the show for a little while. I am an expert. I have the superpower in seeing a million possibilities, and I love these shiny objects. And I, in the past, and even now, I struggle with not running to every new shiny object that comes my way and dropping the ball on what I'm supposed to be focusing on now. So I have that superpower. Another superpower I have is condiment combinations. Back in the day, I worked at Subway. That's where I got my start at this sandwich artistry. If I make you a sandwich, I'm pretty sure your response is going to be, whoa, what's in this? Because I know how to pair the right, you know, mayo and mustard, a mayo and sriracha, if you're not into mayo, maybe mayo grosses you out. I got friends that, you know, they don't like the mayo. I can come up with a whole other different trick. Vinegar, that's a secret. I'm great at it. I, I, even my British in-laws, they crack a smile when eating. Not, not, that, not that British people don't smile, but I'll tell you this. If British people love stuff, if they're just like bonkers about it, they'll say stuff like, hmm, I quite like this. And they've said that about these sandwiches. And I think even I've got one of them to be like, what's in this? 
That's how much of a condiment combination superpower I have. Why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you to prove that I have the superpower, super weakness of seeing possibilities. Condiment combinations has nothing to do with this episode whatsoever. I just want to show you how badly I can get distracted. And that all of this expertise, all of this ability to trick myself into disciplined focus is a, are things that I've had to learn firsthand to make progress in my creative career. So you can trust me. I'm one of you. And so we're going to talk about this idea of shiny objects. And uh, my friend Josh Horton, he's the founder of Creative Works. He's the one who kind of got me thinking about this stuff. He has a business mentor that was telling him, you know, you need to keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the stuff that matters in your business and avoid the shiny objects, the, the, the seemingly possible possibilities, opportunities that are in your periphery that end up stealing your time and not really reaping any results and, and stealing your time from your focus on what actually matters. And uh, I want to talk about that today. Let's do it. So let me tell you a little story. It's an illustration to explain what I mean by these shiny objects uh, and, and a way of thinking about them that hopefully has a little bit more you know, guts to them where you can kind of feel it a little bit, what I'm talking about, what happens when you say yes to shiny objects and kind of uh, say no to focus. And uh, let me just tell you a little, little quick story to kind of explain what I mean. So ages ago, I had this idea for a fantasy story of some kind. It could have been a comic, could have been a, a book, a work of fiction, if you will. Um, and it's just like a fantastical story. And it's about a world, a universe that's asleep. And it's a world that's asleep. Okay. And the hero of the story is the chosen one called to wake up this world. And he's going on this massive journey to wake up the land. And he gathers this crew as you do his teammates, his partners in crime, the people that are going to help him fulfill his destiny of waking up the land. And late in the game, there comes this time, you know, maybe they're sitting around a bonfire him and his crew, and everybody's asleep besides one other character. And that character is kind of like the trickster, but the hero doesn't really know it. He doesn't really know that this guy's kind of tricky. You can think of, you know, characters like uh, the, uh, the guy from The Matrix, if you're familiar with that movie. Scyther? Uh, Cypher? Scyther's <laughs> a Pokemon. I think his name was Cypher. <laughs> but he's the guy who's like trying to get in Neo's head about uh, not fulfilling his destiny. Trying to tell Neo, like, I don't think you're really the tro chosen one. And I think Morpheus is kind of crazy, if you're familiar. But it's a character. It's this trickster character that tries to get in the head of the hero and kind of distract him and sabotage him. 
And uh, it's kind of one of these moments. And they're sat around the bonfire, and the trickster just says to the hero, you know, aren't you afraid to wake up the land? And the hero's like, what are you talking about? Why would I be afraid? Like, the legends, the prophecy, it says that if I wake up the land, uh, the darkness will disappear and a piercing light will rise and everything will flourish. That sounds amazing. Why would I be afraid of that? And the trickster's like, yeah, I know that that's what people say. Uh, I know that's the prophecy and all that good stuff. And, you know, I'm not trying to mess with any of that. I'm just saying that if this world is asleep... What do you think that makes us? And the hero's like, I don't follow what you're saying. Well, he's like, you know, when you're asleep and there's like figures running about, characters running about in your head, what do you call that? And the hero's like, uh, I don't know, a dream. And he's like, exactly. And we'll, You know, all those characters, what happens to them when you wake up? And the hero's like, I don't know. I guess they're just gone. And the trickster's like, exactly. And I'm just not sure that if this lands asleep and you and I are just a dream, that I really want to face the fate of a dream upon waking. And you can kind of see the exuberance, the light, the passion, the motivation disappear from the hero's eyes and he's the the waters are muddy and he's kind of confused about his journey and it kind of takes away his ability to bring his best self to bring the courage and the hero just lays back and says good night and it starts causing all this trouble in the story and i think that if you're sat in the audience, when you're watching one of these stories play out and you're watching the trickster sow these seeds of confusion in the hero, all of us in the audience are saying, no, no, don't follow that shiny object. Don't, don't go away from the path. And the thing about stories, the thing about myths, where we get all these ideas, they're not supposed to just be entertainment. You know, my buddy Jesse Bryan, he told me that uh, he's got a mentor that's like a top story guy. He wrote a book that, uh, I need to put it in the show notes now, but he wrote a book that is like required reading if you're going to work at Pixar. And this guy says that stories, they, they're a vehicle to explain to you survival instructions on how to do life. And this, this little anecdote that I'm telling you, you've heard it a billion times. You've been sat in the audience. You said, no, no, don't follow that shiny object. But you haven't possibly been your own audience and said the same thing to yourself when the trickster comes along and distracts you from your work and the purpose of the things that we're talking about in this episode is to help you get a little distance from those things that are distracting you, be able to notice them. And I'm going to give you an example of one of the ones that throws me off my path, um, you know, quite a bit. 
and get a little vulnerable with my own experiences there as an example to show you what it looks like to get thrown off your path and how you can guard yourself against it so that you can stay the path and reap the rewards. Let's do it. So let me share with you an example of one of these shiny objects and how it throws me off. Uh, just as a, an example of what I mean by shiny objects, so you can kind of recognize maybe this same thing happens to you, but also maybe uh, this will help highlight your own versions of these shiny objects and, uh, and, and it'll help you stay the course. And then after I give you this example, I'm going to give you uh, a method for knowing what to be focusing on right now that will help you gain some clarity and that clarity will clear up the muddy waters, clear up the confusion and allow you to give your best self over to it without uh, any, any holding back or resistance. So I'll give you an example and it is jealousy over other people's rewards. And let me just tell you something right here, partner. This isn't a thing that, uh, that, that maybe you struggle with. Uh, and it's not a thing that I actually relish sharing with you. Uh, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a afraid to share with you, but it's not my best me. It's, it's one of my worst me's. But one of the things I can do is I can look at uh, the rewards of other people's creativity, whether that's an award that they got, whether that's a client they won, an accolade, um, something along that nature. And I can allow that to be a shiny object that throws me off my path to try to gain that reward. And uh, a billion times this has happened to me. And what ends up happening is you see this thing that someone gets because of their creativity. You have that jealousy and you become like uh, the woman from Napoleon Dynamite la lusting over this ship in a bottle and you whisper to yourself, I want that. And, you, and you're like, all right, you tell the secretary, I don't have a secretary. If I did, I'd say, hold the calls. I figured out exactly what I've got to do to get the thing that I want. And you just do this crazy project. You think I'm going to make all this stuff and it's going to be solving all of my creative career problems and I'm going to have that thing. It's going to be amazing. And you work and work and maybe even pull an all-nighter and you're like, yes, I've started down this path. It's going to be so good. You go lay in your bed all smug knowing that you're that much closer to getting this sweet hookup. And the next morning you wake up and you're like, what the heck was I doing? <laughs> I don't want that. Why, why did I do that? That's a, I completely wasted the very few hours that I have in a day or in a week to make stuff. And I made some irrelevant thing that I'm never going to use or I'm never going to continue or pursue because I went down this side road and got derailed and hit a dead end. And so why do we do that? You know, what, why does it happen that way? What's going on? Here's what I think's going on for me. I think often these distractions, they're like a sugar rush of motivation. You see, they're not attached to actual authentic desires. They're attached to jealousy. They're attached to these momentary uh, bursts of energy that result in a crash and burn. And I think if you take jealousy, jealousy like this says, I could do that. 
and I think a, a, the, an authentic desire like curiosity asks, whoa, could I do that? And I think uh, for me, one of the things that I've found tried and true is that jealousy of the reward always equals a sugar rush crash and burn in terms of my motivation and focus. And something like an authentic desire such as curiosity uh, enables me to a curiosity in someone else's process in the creativity that they're making rather than the reward, you know, uh, a curiosity of, could I do that? Could I make stuff like that? You know, getting excited about diving deep into the process of something because I'm passionate about the work. That's the kind of motivation that lasts. So for me, in terms of a guiding light, curiosity trumps jealousy. And uh, I think that you see this in how I think about money. So I think for me, if I ever get, it's pretty rare, but if I ever got caught up in this idea of money as a reward, like, ooh, if I did that kind of creativity, if I did this kind of thing, then I could make even more money. And money being the goal, you know, what I could, what that money could afford me to buy uh, as the end uh, and, and not the means, it means that I get distracted by going down some path that ultimately leaves me burnt out. But when money is the, uh, is, is the means, it's the thing that affords me not some materialistic pursuit, but affords me the time to get lost in the curiosity that money is the thing that enables me to get the reward of the process of getting lost in the creativity, that kind of authentic desire pushes me so much further and keeps me on the path. Judd Apatow talks about this all the time. He's like, you know, he's not looking for the Oscar. He's not looking for some accolade or being celebrated. He's a, he's a director, by the way, if you don't know of, of comedy movies and a producer of comedy movies, his only goal is to stay in the process. He uses the process as the goal to stay in the process. He says he just wants to make good enough movies so that they'll let him keep making movies. And that kind of authentic desire is a renewable resource in your engine that will keep you focused on the path in the long haul. And so that's a good example for me of something that throws me off. If I see somebody has tons more followers than me and see what they're doing and I see or see someone who's banking tons of cash or see someone that's celebrated by the critics, you know, it's tempting to me to be like, you know what, I could do that. But I'd so much rather go with the curiosity that says, could I do that? So, uh, okay, we told you what not to do. Don't chase after shiny objects. We said that you should focus, uh, but it's not that simple really because then you're like, well, what do I focus on? And actually, one of the reasons why I think uh, we get really confused is a lack of nuance in our truth. And so, you know, half of the creatives have this idea that you should never focus on one thing. You should just let 
your possibilities be your guide and just always be exploring. And then there's a bunch of other people that are like, no, you've got to have a forced, focused effort on the prize and be strategic. And there's just this fighting back and forth between these ideas of which one's right. And I think that is a mistake. I think that um, there's a deeper nuanced wisdom on how to approach this stuff that will help you find the focus you need to invest the way you need to, to reap the rewards that you want. And uh, I've come up with little this little system, this little process to help determine what you should be focusing on now. And actually, I think it encompasses the whole, should you have focused, should you always focus or should you always explore? Well, I think you should always focus, but sometimes you need to focus on exploring. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Uh, here's the thing, okay? I think... Uh, knowing what the season you're in and what you should be focusing on right now is paramount to your clarity. And uh, I think that there are generally three different camps of uh, focus. And I think there's the what I call the mining phase, the refining phase, and the shining phase. And it's this idea that the first part is mining and you're going into the deep unknown and you're collecting all of these new things and experimenting and trying new things, trying different types of work, trying new styles, trying new so sounds, um, taking in new experiences, you know, just collecting. That's what you do in the mine. And then after you've done that comes a season of focus that I call refining. You take everything that you learned, everything that you gathered in the mine and you go and you refine those stones and you see which of them are just plain old ugly stones and which of them are shiny gemstones and you refine what you've learned in your experimenting and exploring and you turn it into something refined. And then once you've done that, it's time to shine, baby. You gotta shine what you've got. You've gotta go out there and focus on getting the word out, marketing what you've done. And I'll give you some examples just to tell you kind of what I mean by that. One of the examples that's classic for me that's built into the industry is built into, it's built into the industry of music. And so here it is. Uh, I think what happens, you know, when a band has their first album, they spend this natural amount of time in the mine. You know, it's just learning how to play music, trying out new songs, trying out new sounds, trying to write your own songs, having all this experience, you know, in their life experience and these experiments in their music and they're just trying all this stuff and eventually they take all of that stuff and maybe they they turn the people they're jamming with, all the, you know, maybe they're jamming with a bunch of different people, but eventually they're seeing that some of these people they're playing with and some of these sounds that they're messing with and some of these topics and experiences in their life are starting to ring true and they refine that into something called a band. And they refine those experiments and lyrics into songs. And they refine, they go into a season where they're making an album. And they're creating this body of work. And then once they finish the work, they got to go out there and shine it. It's time to take that work and it's time to tour it. It's time to put it into an album. It's time to do the press stuff and go around the world shining your shiny diamonds. And I think one of the things that ends up happening 
is if you get, if you neglect this seasonal approach, what you end up having is the sophomore slump, the dud second album, because many bands, they don't realize that there were several phases. They completely miss the fact that they spent a long time in the mine. And so they go from mining, refining, shining, straight into refining. So they go straight off tour, right into uh, writing new songs. And they miss that part where they're experimenting, exploring, and focused on that part of their journey. And so I think that that's one of the ways it looks. Another way it looks is you do a bunch of experiments on Instagram with your illustration. You try a bunch of different ways of doing your style. You're trying new content you're covering. You're trying a bunch of stuff and seeing what sticks, throwing spaghetti against the wall. And that's the season of focus. The mining season is a focus on exploration. It's the focus on not being focused. It's trying a bunch of stuff. So that encapsulates both parts of the necessity of being open to possibility, but it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to jump from that to, to new, to new, to new. You can get addicted to new as a creative person. It's easy to once things, you know, it's easy once you're going to the refined season uh, to get discouraged by how tough it is sometimes to turn those lessons into a polished style, into a polished body of work, into a portfolio. And there's so many people that uh, sh that I see struggle with that and they're just, they stay surface level trying new things, new things, always in the sketchbook, never finishing anything, never refining anything and never shining it to anybody. And it's also easy to build that body of work and say like, all right, I did it. Why do I not have any jobs and not spend the time in the shining phase of saying I built something and I'm going to put in the time and effort to go city to city, metaphorically or literally to tell people about it. And, uh, this is my thing to you. I want to, I want you to ask yourself either with this hundred day project or either with, uh, uh, just the body of work that you're pursuing, whatever you're self-initiating, whatever you're pushing into next, whatever you're doing right now, ask yourself, what season am I in? What kind of focus do I need to be thinking about? Am I in a mining phase where I don't really have any of the answers? I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no raw materials to work with and I need to go back in the mine and experiment and explore, try new things, gather new data. Maybe you've been experimenting for a year. And uh, you know what people are responding to, what you're feeling excited about. You're getting a synergy among what you're doing, but you're, you're going back in the mind and trying new things all over again. And it's time to take the lessons you've learned, look back over the past year, pick some things to focus on. And maybe this hundred day project or the stuff that you're doing next, you're going to spend a focused effort trying to turn those lessons into a presentable, refined body of work. Maybe an album, maybe a book, maybe something a little bit more um, refined for people to sink their teeth into. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you crushed it. You made a whole portfolio of work. You're in that place and you're going, you're thinking you're going to go straight from mine refine. And since it's not working, you're going to go straight back in the mine and start all over again. And I want to stop you and say, maybe you need to be thinking about a project that's content marketing. Maybe that you need to focus on a project that gets that stuff out there into the world. And so that's the, that's what I suggest doing, stopping and asking yourself, which am I in? And I'm in, am I in a mine phase? Am I in a refine phase? Am I a shine phase? And then, def, and then define 
whether it's 100 days or not, define the parameters of how long you think you're going to need to stay in this season and then dedicate yourself to going into that season and staying in that season and saying no to shiny objects, new ideas, different seasons. Because the thing is, it doesn't matter what path you're on, in the messy middle, the trickster's going to come along and he's going to try to distract you into saying no to your focused, concerted effort in the season you're in. And I want to just say one thing real quick as a disclaimer for this whole thing. Legitimate opportunities are not shiny objects. And this is what I mean. New ideas are shiny objects. Seemingly vague opportunities can be shiny objects. Real opportunities, sometimes the universe, sometimes life wants to jack up your plans and you need to go with it. It's happened to me plenty of times. I'm all about trying to figure out the perfect balance in these creative waters between making your own waves and riding the waves that come to you. And you've got to be a master of doing both. And so don't hear me out. If a genuine opportunity, meaning someone's going to pay you real money for something that you really want to do, don't just see that as a shiny object. Be open to the, the waves that are coming towards you, but be closed to sneaky trickster waves that are merely a distraction. So, I hope I've given you some tools to recognize shiny objects as they're coming at you. We're going to talk more about some of these ideas in the coming episodes to give you some rocket fuel to keep you going on your 100-day project um, and, uh, and staying motivated and excited about what you're doing so you can make some sincere, big investments to get some real uh, rewards. And let me just say, before you get in all up in your mind and thinking, did I pick the right thing? Is it the right area of focus? I have to change my project. Blah, 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 blah. Let me just say this. Significant, significant investments, even if they're slightly not the right direction, will still get you further than jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing. And uh, the reason I want to do this episode is uh, for those of you that are in this place where you're skipping from new thing to new thing to new thing to new thing. Because the thing that happens, new is always fun. It tickles the possibility fancy that we have as creative people. We love trying out new stuff. Now, new is fun and it's easy to do that path. And that's why so many creatives do it. But mastery and where the real rewards are, they're hard at first. And I kind of think of it as someone who's like trying to dig down for some gold. And uh, there's excitement in trying a new hole and trying a different, uh, a different you know, field to dig into. And you start digging, you're like, I think this could be the one. And then you're going to hit the rocks. You're going to hit that messy middle where all of a sudden it's not fun anymore and you start asking yourself, is there even gold under there? I don't even know. You know, should it even be this hard? And you get discouraged and you say, you know what? Look at that field over there. Maybe I'll try that field. And you go try a new hole and you've got the excitement all over again. But what ends up happening is you do that so many times that eventually you're done. You're spent. 
You don't have enough energy to break through the rocks, through the bedrock, through the messy, tough parts. And you don't have enough energy to try a new hole. And so I, having been somebody who spent a lot of time in that place and still gets distracted, still gets seduced by uh, shiny objects and the newness of possibility, I just want to encourage you and say, look, there's been a few times in my creative path that I stayed the course, I broke through the rocky bedrock and found the gold of the other side of focus. And I'll tell you what, this thing ends up happening. Yeah, at first it's this challenge, but once you start working out those muscles, you know, the book Flow uh, by someone whose name I can't say, I can never remember what it is and it's really long and I'm not smart (laughs) enough to know these things. I need to just go onto YouTube, go see this person's name, go to one of those YouTubes that tell you how to say things. You know, they just repeat the thing over and over. I just got to memorize it. Um, But uh, he has a book called Flow and in it they talk about the flow state and they say the flow state is where you find the perfect balance of mastery and challenge where you're like prepared you're you're you've mastered a thing but it's still bringing out the best in you because it's challenging you and that's when you lose sense of time and space and they say that scientifically your brain feels a joy that it can't feel any other way it unlocks this euphoric state this is why we love creativity this is the magic of creativity this is the the beauty this is why you fall in love with the process and yeah there's a part when you try something new and you're trying to break into a new market or you're trying to explore a new part of your style and you hit the rocky terrain and you see the shiny object and you want to go run from the rocky terrain you want to run from the challenge but if you'll stick with it for a little while The challenge, the challenge, the challenge, the challenge starts to turn into the mastery and the challenge and the challenge and the challenge and the mastery and the challenge and the challenge and the mastery and the challenge and the mastery and the challenge. You start getting into this place where it's hard, but it's fun. And you get this level of joy. And I have this experience in my life where I'm getting better at this stuff, creative stuff because I've stuck at it for a few years. And you start reaping the benefits and the joy of that flow state and that process. And I'm feeling these feelings. And I'm looking back on past Andy who's going from new thing to new thing to new thing. And I see creative people doing the same thing. And I'm like, no. The, the, the shallow excitement and fun of the new stuff pales in comparison to the depth of joy of pushing past the challenge to stay in the course, staying focused. And that's why I'm talking to you about this today. So I want to go back to this idea. Do you remember this weird story I told you about the land that was asleep and the hero that was going to wake up the land and the trickster that tried to convince him that if you, if you wake up the land, then we're all going to die, basically, because we're clearly a dream. You remember that weird thing I told you <laughs> a few minutes ago? Let me just tell you something about that. This idea of the hero and the idea of the trickster, these are like mythological archetypes. You see them in story after story after story, and they're not there just for entertainment. Like I said, they're survival instructions. They're about how to be the best you. And I think the funny thing is that psychologists would say that 
you know, this knowledge of the hero and the trickster and being privy to this and being having the distance of the audience to catch yourself when you're being tricked. All of that rarely actually happens in your outer world. These archetypes, the hero, the trickster, they're just different parts of you. Because here's the thing. There's a part of your brain that's going to try to stop you from focusing. It's going to try to stop you from this new thing that you're doing. It's going to try to self-sabotage. And uh, I'm pretty sure neuroscientists would say it's because you're, there's a part of your subconscious that's incredibly powerful. And that's why it's the, it's the trickster because it's almost invisible. You don't notice. It seems like it's you. It seems like it's trying to help you. But what it's really trying to do, all it really cares is that you stay alive. It doesn't matter if your life is miserable. That's not its goal. Its goal is just to keep you alive. And all it knows is that everything you've done up to now, all the old stuff keeps you alive because you're still here. And so when the hero part of you, the best part of you is like, let's go take this land. Let's wake it up. The trickster says, I don't know, man, you might die if you do that. You might miss out on something. You might be going the wrong way. Why bother? Let's try a different direction. Let's try a new thing. Let's give up. Let's muddy the waters so you can't bring your best self. So you can't bring your discipline and your focus. And here's what I want you to do today. When that thing starts, that thing in you that tries to act up and self-sabotage, you're going to have different triggers, by the way. There's going to be different ways that it plays on you and your emotions. You've got different fears, different things that it messes with you and stops you from reaching your best. You've got to start naming them and knowing them. And when you see the trickster come out in you and start telling you, don't wake up the land. Go look at this shiny object. Go be distracted by that thing. You've got to say it with me. You've got to step back, be part of your own audience, notice this thing, and say, no, no more shiny objects. Thanks for listening. If you consider yourself to be a creative pepperoni, that's what we call, well, some, I, I, that's what I call, I guess, massive fans of Creative Pep Talk, you know, Pep Talk, Pep, Pepperoni, I'm Andy J Pizza, that's kind of, that's the thing. I, I'm proud of it, but also ashamed at the same time. But if you're not ashamed to be a Creative Pepperoni, and this is part of your, uh, your happy spirit happy place and uh, you get something from this show and you want to give back there's a few different things you can do you can review and rate the show on iTunes you can do it right now even if you've never done it before they'll let you do it it's real easy just go rate and review the show that helps us uh, stay visible on there and it, it, nothing helps other people get what you got from this thing uh, like doing that you can support the show financially uh, you can give back you know like like people do to like public radio and stuff like that um, by going to patreon.com slash creative pep talk. You can get some creative pep talk merch, kind of like a give and take thing. You know, you give creative pep talk some money. We give you some cool doodads. We got those on creativepeptalk.com slash shop and you can have access to the first 100 episodes and stay up to date with the show by following the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. <sighs> Thanks for listening to the show. I hope this peps you out of your mind. 
Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for the theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for a bunch of the other tunes. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the podcast so beautifully and adding some of his own music that really uh, helps this thing transcend to new levels. Thanks, Suggy. Um, That's what I call Alex Sugg, but I don't know if he likes it. Anyway, (laughs) uh, thanks for listening to the show. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. (laughs) 